Welcome to a nonfiction story cast about people in Seattle who built churches and how they did it. I'm Cindy Safranoff. I'm the author, and this is Dedication, building the Seattle branches of Mary Baker Eddy's church, a centennial story. Episode 47, Christian Science Teacher. It would seem to be second only in potential impact for the Christian science movement in Seattle to the passing of Mary Baker Eddy. On January 30, 1929, Alan H. Armstrong died. Mr. Armstrong passed on in his home in the Mount Baker neighborhood in southeast Seattle. His student association held a memorial service at the Scottish Rite Temple at Harvard Avenue and Broadway. This dedicated Christian science teacher, sent to Seattle under Reverend Eddy's leadership, would no longer be there to support Christian science work in Seattle. William K. Sheldon had also recently passed on. Edith S. Alexander and John E. Plater were still teaching but they later expressed special admiration for Armstrong and the significant contribution he made in the history of Christian science in Seattle. Armstrong was never widely known in the Christian science community beyond Seattle. He never served on the board of lectureship. He wrote only a few articles for the Christian science periodicals. His entire focus had been steady spiritual growth the professional healing practice, and encouraging local church building. Once lagging behind in the growth of Christian science, Seattle had far exceeded Tacoma, Everett, Bellingham, and Spokane in both practitioners and churches in the 30 years since Armstrong arrived. Starting from only two full-time Christian science practitioners in 1899, By 1929, there were 145 listed in the Christian Science Journal, plus about 20 more listed in the Seattle City Directory, and a few in outlying areas of Bellevue, Auburn, and Edmonds. Seattle population had increased more than four times during the same three decades, growing from about 80,000 residents in 1900 to about 365,000 in 1929. But the rapid growth of Christian science had far outpaced even Seattle's tremendous population growth. By 1929, Seattle had 12 active Christian science congregations. First Church on Capitol Hill, Second Church in Ballard, Third Church in the University District, Fourth Church, downtown, Fifth Church in Columbia City, Sixth Church in West Seattle, Seventh Church in Queen Anne, Eighth Church in North Seattle at 104th Street on Dayton Avenue near Carkeek Park, Ninth Church in Lake Forest Park near the north end of Lake Washington, and Tenth Church in Seahurst Park at the far southwest end. A society formed from overflow from the other branches was meeting at Green Lake Masonic Hall, and there was a society at North 176th Street 
at Ronald Station for the Seattle Everett Interurban Electric Train. Even with all the new churches, the three largest, first, third, and fourth, continued to hold two Sunday services, 11 a.m. and 8 p.m. Christian Science churches were small in number in the overall religious landscape in Seattle. More than 270 churches and religious organizations were listed in the city directory. For comparison, there were 20 Catholic churches, 21 Baptist churches, 22 Congregational churches, 25 Presbyterian churches, and 26 Lutheran churches. But at the 12 Christian Science churches, attendance was large and still growing. At least several thousand Seattle residents were attending Christian Science church services regularly. Many more came to the frequent Christian Science lectures, and even more could read lectures published in local newspapers and distributed in pamphlet form. The rise and influence of Christian science was felt in Seattle. It was evident from so many successful church-building projects that Christian science really had come to stay. Notably, Reverend J.D.O. Powers, a prominent Seattle pastor, was calling for a change of attitude by Christian clergy toward Christian science. Reverend Powers was quoted in the Seattle Post-Intelligencer as saying, Instead of damning it and its adherents and calling it bad names, if the church is to save itself, we must study it and incorporate in the practice of the church all the truth it has in its possession. Powers resigned his post in the Unitarian Church not to join the Christian Science Church, but to start a non-sectarian Christian church. It seems that Christian Science was having an influence in Seattle beyond its 12 branches. There were eight Christian Science reading rooms in Seattle. First and fourth churches had their joint reading room in the Empire Building in the Central Business District downtown open 75 hours a week, most days from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Third Church had similar hours at its reading room on University Way at Northeast 45th Street. The Second Church reading room on Ballard Avenue, in the heart of the Ballard commercial area, was open weekday afternoons and evenings. The Fifth Church reading room was in their church edifice on 36th Avenue South at South Alaska Street, adjacent to Columbia Park. It was open on Friday afternoons. The Sixth Church Reading Room in West Seattle on California Avenue at Southwest Alaska Street was open midday from 11.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. The Ninth Church Reading Room in their Lake Forest Park Church edifice was open briefly on Thursday afternoons. All the Seattle branch churches jointly supported two downtown reading rooms, one in the North End Shopping District and another on the South End near Pioneer Square and the shipyards. The Shopping District Joint Reading Room was in the Schaefer Building at 6th Avenue and Pine Street. The 10-story Schaefer Building 
was among the tallest buildings downtown, and when it was completed in 1924, it was hailed as the most innovative and modern in the city. Handsomely clad in white terracotta tiles, this imposing skyscraper had expansive windows and the latest technology for electric lights, wiring, and plumbing. The offices were designed with doctors and dentists in mind. Upon completion, the Christian Science Reading Room opened on the ninth floor, and immediately Christian Science practitioners started moving in. By 1929, there were 30 in the building, 14 on the eighth floor, and 16 more on the 5th, 6th, and 7th floors. The Schaefer Building Reading Room was initiated by 7th Church. Maintaining an active reading room had been an especially difficult problem for the Queen Anne Church. Initially, their reading room was in the Wells Building at 3rd Avenue and Pine Street. The next year, they moved it to the Seaboard Building, one block away at 4th and Pike. Seventh Church struggled with both the cost and the location. They moved it a few years later to the top of Queen Anne Hill on West Boston Street at Queen Anne Avenue. But there was not much activity, so they closed it. All the while, Seventh Church had been trying to recruit a partner, as First and Fourth were doing in the Empire Building. They first approached Third Church, but at that time, the University District branch was too focused on construction to consider taking on another project and another expense. It took many letters and meetings over several years to work out a viable agreement. Finally, in December 1925, the Schaefer Building Reading Room opened with the support of all the Seattle branch churches. By 1929, it had become almost as much of a hub of Christian science activity as the Empire Building. Alan H. Armstrong never had his office in the Empire Building or the Schaefer Building. As soon as the joint reading room was established in the Empire Building, Armstrong moved into the Joshua Green Building at 4th Avenue and Pike Street. At that time, 1914, the Green Building was the newest, most innovative, and imposing skyscraper in the north end of downtown, and the most costly after the Smith Tower. Joint literature distribution and Christian Science Monitor advertising moved from the Empire Building to the Green Building. Along with Armstrong, more than 20 practitioners had their offices in the Joshua Green Building, a third Christian Science Professional Center downtown. Between Pioneer Square and Occidental Square, at First Avenue South and Washington Street, only a few blocks south of the Empire Building, was the Maynard Building Reading Room. It served a different demographic group. With a clientele of workers from the shipyards and other industrial plants, this reading room, which opened in October 1928, seemed more of a charity project than a profitable sales outlet for the Christian Science Publishing Society. Located on the second floor of the building, it was almost like a storefront. It did not anchor a Christian Science Professional Center like the other downtown reading rooms. 
It provided friendly outreach to laborers, a wholesome and uplifting space within an area historically known for its taverns, public bathhouses, brothels, and other such activities. A section of the city frequented principally by men out of employment. Seattle was not the only city to have joint reading rooms. A dozen others had all-city ones downtown, mostly in the Midwest and Far West. And there were other cities where two or three branches shared a reading room, at least ten, possibly more. But Seattle seems to have been very unusual in the extent of its cooperative spirit, with its three joint downtown reading rooms. The other joint activities of the Seattle Christian Science Churches had continued to grow since their start in 1912. They supported ongoing activities at the Fort Lewis Army Base, literature booths at the Western Washington State Fair in Puyallup, and occasional commercial expositions. Besides the regular Joint Literature Distribution Committee, there was an effort to put literature onto ships called the Harbor, Lakes, and Waterways Committee, and a committee for placing Christian science books in public libraries. There was a cooperative committee for managing subscriptions to the Christian Science Monitor, a monitor advertising committee, and together the churches purchased bulk orders of special issues. A joint lecture committee coordinated scheduling for individual branches and organized joint events. They had recently started jointly funding radio broadcasts of lectures. The Church Extension Committee coordinated ministry efforts for the local jails, prisons, forced labor farms, and other institutions. And the Seattle churches supported the efforts of the Walla Walla Church at the State Penitentiary. An emergency welfare fund provided charitable support for local Christian scientists. Each of these activities was funded by a separate monthly fee paid by each branch based on membership size. Nearly all of this organization supporting Christian science in Seattle, the 12 branch churches, the eight reading rooms, and all the joint activities were established during Armstrong's three decades in Seattle. For such a significant local religious leader, Armstrong kept a remarkably low public profile. His name only occasionally appeared in the Seattle newspapers. During the period between the death of his wife Maud in 1908 and his remarriage to Harriet Frances Morton in 1915, he made the society page of the newspaper for attending the theater in the company of McGilvras and Burks. Judge Thomas Burke was one of the most significant civic leaders in the early decades of Seattle's development. Burke helped establish Seattle as the Queen City of the Pacific Northwest and encouraged the local business culture of cooperation known as the Seattle Spirit. Besides being the owner of the Burke Building, where First Church of Christ Scientist had its building committee meetings, Burke was also the owner of the Empire Building, the primary Christian science hub. 
Armstrong may have become acquainted with Judge Burke through Oliver C. McGilvra, Burke's law partner and brother-in-law. Judge Burke protected the civil rights of minority groups. He had taken a courageous public stand in defense of Chinese immigrants when they were threatened by riots. The still misunderstood Christian scientists may have benefited from their proximity to Burke. One of the last of the pioneer generation of city builders, this much-loved judge, dubbed Seattle's first citizen by his first biographer, had died in 1925, but he was still in the news in Seattle. In 1929, a 20-ton granite memorial for Burke was commissioned by his many friends for Volunteer Park. Armstrong, like Burke, was a community builder, one of the last of the pioneer generation of Christian scientists. But there would be no statue of Armstrong anywhere. His passing was quietly honored in less visible ways. In the short article in the Seattle Times about Armstrong's memorial service, he was remembered, first and foremost, as a Christian science teacher. He was described as one of the leaders of the denomination in Washington since arriving in 1899. But almost more emphasis was put on his organization of the first Christian science church in San Jose, California. The typical Seattle Times reader probably did not know much about the San Jose church and its significance. Most Christian scientists, however, would have recognized it as being among the very few branch churches that had received a letter from Reverend Eddy for its dedication. With Armstrong gone, the Christian science movement was entering a new phase of development. It remained to be seen whether these far western students would continue to live according to the name, title, and profession Christian scientist, as Armstrong had. It remained to be seen whether they would continue in the spirit of cooperation and unity that was so heavily emphasized by the Seattle branch churches during and after the Mother Church's great litigation. Their resolve would soon be tested by the extraordinary challenges they would soon face the start of the greatest economic depression the country had ever experienced, and the greatest world war. Their elegant church edifices, even with their large and growing congregations, carried huge amounts of debt, much more than they had ever wanted or planned, perhaps more than was fiscally prudent. It remained to be seen how they would achieve dedication. End of part one. Thanks for listening to Dedication by me, Cindy Safranoff. All events and characters in this story are as true and accurate as the available sources. All opinions are mine. To support and learn more about this groundbreaking research project and read my writing, visit cindysafranoff.com.